Welcome to the Gottesdienst crowd, where we foster confessional integrity, liturgical preservation, and preaching that doesn't stink. We believe that the historic liturgy of the divine service is more than mere cobwebs of antiquity, but it is a true treasure of the church to be dusted off and brought down from her attic to be enjoyed. So let's get dusting. Welcome back to the Gottesdienst crowd. This is Jason Broughton. Today we have back with us Dave Peterson. Welcome back, Dave. Thank you. We are taking up the gospel reading for the 20th Sunday after Trinity. It comes from Matthew chapter 22, verses 1 to 14. I'll go ahead and read that in the English Standard Version. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those who invited were not worthy. Go there for the, to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. All right, uh, Context. Uh, well, this is during Holy Week in the temple, Monday or Tuesday, mm-hmm. and there is increasing hostility. <laughs> I, I was thinking about that, how uh, you pointed out that I always say that. It's because it's always true. I mean, <laughs> there, is this, there is this movement within the Gospels where there is really, right, always... I mean, there is a definite movement mm-hmm. of increased hostility. But anyway, this is Holy Week. It uh, immediately precedes the um, question about the law and the son of David, mm-hmm. uh, the greatest of the commandments, which we had a couple weeks ago, and the silencing. That's the silencing of the Pharisees right before it comes the uh, silencing of the Sadducees. Mm-hmm. So this is the last time, more or less, that they're going to talk to him. <laughs> so. Yeah. That's is, the context. Yeah. Is there, um, it seems as though the immediate context too is Jesus previously to this has been very pointed in saying, look, uh, this is your kingdom, but like, if you don't pony up, you're, <laughs> it's going to be taken from you and given to someone else. Um, and then in this parable, he illustrates that. And just before this parable, yeah. you have the, um, well, the parable of the tenants, and then the chief priests and the Pharisees heard, and they perceived that he was speaking about them. Uh, and though they wanted to arrest him, they feared the crowds because they held him to be a prophet. Um, 
So is is Jesus speaking here in this parable only to the Pharisees, or are they just within earshot, and the rest of the people are like, yeah, this is right. This is how God is. And the Pharisees and the chief priests uh, and the other principal men of the people, uh, they're hearing it and, th- and, and thinking, yeah, no, he's not right, but we're not going to say anything. I mean, it could be. I mean, they, they do know he's talking about them, yeah. um, obviously. But, and, and I mean, they do then plot directly how to entangle him. Uh, he does say, yeah, I, I, I think I was... I'm more, and I think typically this has been understood as kind of Jews, you know, stage one is Jews, stage two is Gentiles. But I suppose you could see stage one, in other words, those who were invited, or, mm-hmm. or literally those who were called. Um, you get that, that word called comes up a lot in this text, but mm-hmm. it's not translated that way. Um, that could be, usually I think that's been seen as the Jews. And then the second half uh, from the highways, that's the Gentiles, and then the warning that they might come in without faith, mm-hmm. uh, and then not actually be in and be thrown out. But the uh, could be to the uh, kind of the Pharisees or the leaders, and then to the common people. Mm. Um, Is there? Well, uh, let me rephrase this. Um, we tend to tell stories to try to avoid being found out, like <laughs> to try to hide what we're really talking about. Is it doesn't seem as though that's how Jesus does this. Like he says it plainly, and then he illustrates it with a story. Um, is there a is there an example then for the preachers and even those who are given authority in their homes to 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 do the, something similar that that we shouldn't use parables and stories to hide what we mean, but rather to illustrate what we've already stated plainly. I, I suppose you do have that sense early on in the parables that you know he's saying these so that the wise don't understand and those who hear w- won't hear and those who see or think they see won't see. Um, but it seems like he's he's not trying to hide it like the way that yeah know, this seems pretty I, transparent I, 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 yeah yeah. To you has been given the secrets of the kingdom of God, he says, to others in parables, uh, regarding the parable of the sower in particular. Mm -hmm. Here it does seem pretty transparent. It seems like it'd be hard to misunderstand this. Mm -hmm. Whereas a lot of the parables, I think, actually do work on two levels where there's a kind of surface meaning, like like the Good Samaritan, right? Where you could just hear that as, hey, be good, try harder, Um, which the world does hear it that way. Uh, mm-hmm. As opposed to seeing it as a actually an illustration of grace and the Good Samaritan being the Messiah. Here, though, yeah, I don't know how you'd really misunderstand this. Right. Um, this does seem pretty transparent. I think that's a good point. And and they, in fact, it does say that he knows. I mean, before this, but still, also to this, I think, right? He, they do understand he's talking about them. So, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I okay. think the surprising thing is is the second half. Um, because, you know, we're, I think, you know, typically we're, we're like, oh yeah, the first half, yeah, those terrible people, their, their cities deserve to be burned, you know, but now here come the good people, you know, they come in and everything's happy. And then all of a sudden there's also a judgment on them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you get this, you know, this difficult uh, for many are called, but few are chosen. 
which yeah. is obviously really the interpretation of the parable. That is mm-hmm. that this is really, I mean, he's not just talking about the Pharisees. He's talking about how hard it is for anyone to be saved, right? Yeah. And, well, you get this you word know, no, worthy, that those who were initially invited were not worthy. Uh, so right. now you got to go out and uh, call more. Uh, and then even among those, there are some who aren't worthy. Right, right. And and then and the worthiness isn't on good or bad because both the right the or I mean literally the wicked, the poor nay, the wicked and the good are both gathered together. But then when the king comes in, he's not going. Okay, wait, what's the poor nay doing in here? How'd the wicked get in here? That's not mm-hmm. the question. So th- yeah. there's something being done there too that I think. Um, that that's definitely the kind of surprise in two ways. First of all, right, the discernment isn't based on external works or uh, obvious kind of morality, but instead upon this wedding garment, and clearly the wedding garment's faith, right, the righteousness of Christ that has been put on us. And this guy just comes in by his own. He, he doesn't change his life. He doesn't change his garment. He's staying the way he was, and he thought that was fine. Yeah. So. But then even the worthiness before would be faith because they didn't even come. Right, right. So there's like yeah. two well, levels yeah, of, of course. faith. Yeah. Like one is yeah. that, uh, so you've got this call, um, it come, it's extended by the favor of the king, um, and he's extending a kind of friendship with him to enjoy this feast over the wedding of his son, and that this is serious, right? He means business. Um, yeah. So you have kind of those three aspects to that that call, and as you noted, all all of the the words invited call they're all the same word, so it can be kind of confusing. Those who are called are called, and right. Uh, but call the called. Yeah, yeah. Gather them. You know, call them together. Uh, and so they're not found worthy because they don't they don't be- what they just reject the call. And well, no, I think. No, no, it's, 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 they don't believe he's the king. That's why they make, I like the new king. The new King James is superior this week to the ESV translation. Okay. And one of them is this um, translation. I can't remember what you had. The word is unconcerned. Where, where is it? Um, but it's Verse translated. Five, in but they paid king. no attention. Oh, they paid no attention. Yeah. I like the, the King James is better. They made light of it. They, they right. It does it's meaningless to them. It's not just, they don't pay attention. They, they just don't, Right, they don't believe it. They don't believe he's the king. They they ignore the call because they think it's a joke. And they're even well. I mean, what kind of a response is it? Even let's say a lunatic, you know, <laughs> invites you to a a wedding, and you you know it's all make believe, right? I mean, is your response well? Let's kill him. <laughs> I mean, that's a strange that's a strange response to an invitation that you don't think is legit or mm-hmm. real. So it. It, it demonstrates that their lack of recognition that he's the king is not neutral. It's not just, well, they don't recognize him as king. Mm-hmm. They think they are the kings. Uh, and so, therefore, they have the right to inflict violence on those who annoy them. And they're not just kings. They're tyrants in their own little world. And by the way, I was going to, a couple of weeks ago, you, you, talked, you brought up this idea of preaching the first use of the law. Yeah. And uh, I was going to do it, but I started prepping for this text, and I realized this is the text for first use of the law. Okay. Because because 
this is great. Because, I mean, great, terrible, but there is a delay, right? They kill the servants. They get away with it mm-hmm. for a while, right? But then he sends his armies and destroys destroys those murderers mm-hmm. and burns their cities. So, I mean, this first section is really a very, right? There is a consequence to blasphemy. There is a consequence for all of these sins. And mm-hmm. of course, right, a- apart from faith, there is no forgiveness. And so there's fire. Yeah. But anyway, the problem is not just that they reject the call. It's it's that they don't- They don't I mean, take of it course, seriously. Part of it. Well, they don't, they don't believe he's- they don't believe he's the king. I mean, listen, if you got a letter from President Biden inviting you to the White House, you know, no matter what you think of him as a person, you would take that letter very seriously, right? If you believed it was from him. Yeah. But if I send you a fake letter from Abraham Lincoln inviting you to the White House, right, because I'm a lunatic, you know, you'll just throw it away. And that's what they do. They don't, they don't believe it's legitimate at all. They don't think it's that that's and then the others right they do and that's another great vocab word that they're synagogued that that the word for gather there is the word synagogue so they're mm-hmm. brought together in church the from the uh and there's another there's a lot of kind of fun words in this um because he sends them out to the i would the 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 thoroughways or the thoroughfares of the of the road <laughs> So the the highways, you, I think your translation had the main roads or something like that. Yes, but uh, it's a it's a kind of a elaborate phrase uh, in Greek. It's three words instead of one, and then as many as you find, right, uh, uh, invite to the wedding, and then they go out there and they gather them, that they synagogue them, both bad and good, and then the wedding hall. Or yeah, so I would. That's another. I don't know this. I don't know why we keep translating this word as wedding hall or wedding feast. It's just wedding. Mm-hmm. But anyway, the uh, I think the others implied, but I, the wedding is filled with recliners. They're, I, they're not just guests, they're diners, because mm. th- that's the word for eating. So maybe that's, maybe that's, maybe I'm making a mountain out of a molehill here, but I, I like the fact that they're synagogue together to eat together. Yeah. So they don't anyway. Yeah. So you're saying that there's that that since they make a light of it or they neglect it. Yeah. The neglect, trans- that's a good translation. Yeah. Um, they neglect it. So this mm. is the despising in the third commandment. Yeah. Um right. So often uh in confirmation classes, and then when it comes up in the lectionary, I end up talking about, you know, despising is not just hatred of it. It's not giving mm. giving the honor that it's due. It's not recognizing what it what your proper response should be. So, in a sense, it is hatred. But it's not like you know most people when they skip church, they don't think they're hating God's word. Um, like it just it is of no consequence to them. They're just neglecting it. They're just paying it no heed. Right. And that and that is a kind of despising. Yeah. Yeah. Well, again, you know, if you make light of something that's serious, mm-hmm. right? I mean, if I walk into your office and say, you know, and I'm I'm pasty white and I say, uh, my chest hurts terrible and my left arm is numb and I can't walk and it's hard time breathing. And you just go, yeah, it'll be fine. 
right? I mean, walk it if off. If you make light of, right? <laughs> I mean, if you know, if I'm showing the signs of a heart attack and you, you know, you make light of it, right? That's a or you neglect to respond appropriately, right? Mm-hmm. That is a, that is a hatred, and um, so. Okay, so they don't take this seriously, and the consequence of that is that they go off to the farm, they go off to their business, and the rest uh, treat the servants shamefully and even kill them. So that's the fruit of paying, uh, not paying attention or taking the call lightly. Right. Well, it's. I think again, it's because they don't recognize him as the king. They think they're the kings, so they can do whatever they want. Mm-hmm. Uh, this word for business is emporium, and uh, I like that because it's a it's a place of buying and selling. Mm-hmm. Which you know the the Bible doesn't have a real high view of. <laughs> I mean, right? I mean, it, it. Not that it isn't a necessity in this life, but. Merchants aren't really uh, praised. You, you do have the, uh, you know, the Proverbs thirty-one woman, yeah, and uh, you know who's successful and is good at this and so forth. I'm trying to think of another kind of positive example. Well, the only other positive it, is the the dishonest manager. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe the uh, isn't there somebody in a in Ephesus that's well anyway um, the. You do kind of have this that what they're going off to obviously is the world. They're going off. They expect they don't prepare for war. I think that's really right. They're just going about their business. They just killed. They just murdered somebody for mm-hmm. only because the person invited them to a wedding, and they expect to totally get away with this. They no no repercussions. Right. I'm just going to tell you because I think you're capable of it. If you decide to murder somebody. Um, you know, make some preparations. I mean, wouldn't you? Uh, wouldn't you be worried about? You know, maybe his family is going to notice. Maybe somebody's going to be mad about this. Maybe the police are going to come. Yeah. I mean, if if you kill, you know, if you kill the IRS agent or the revenuer or whatever, right? I mean, you expect the government to come looking for you. They yeah. do not, because they don't believe he's the king. They don't believe he has an army. They don't believe he has any authority. And they, they feel like they can do whatever they want. They, I don't think they think they've done anything morally wrong. Mm-hmm. They're like Nero, you know, they, they're just, they're lunatics with their own, you know, grandiose vision of themselves that they think they can kill people with impunity. They're like abortion doctors, mm-hmm. you know, they think they're doing the world a service. If, if they don't like this guy, he's annoying. Why not murder him? He's an inconvenience. The world should thank me for this. Right. You just go to. They just go to their. Think about that. They just they kill murder somebody in cold blood, more than one person, and then just you know go about their business, leave the body there. They don't even try to hide it. It's insane. Mm-hmm. Okay. So then the the second half seems to be the 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 the, the half that gets stuck in a lot of people's craws in terms of the guy yeah. who's thrown out. Right. It should. The, the, the second half is where the, all the weight is. Uh, the, the first half, in a sense, I mean, it certainly applies to us, especially lifelong Christians. It applies to, right? We can take this for granted and so forth. But really, I mean, it, we're still Gentiles. And, you know, it is the second half that's the significant thing because we have been synagogued together to eat with Jesus, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, we have been brought in from the highways and 
you know, we're in the church. Uh, so it is right. The King comes into the church to see. And, uh, what does he see? He sees a hypocrite, right? He sees somebody who thinks that he can stay in the church by his own works and who refuses his righteousness. And there is no mercy for this guy. He's not even allowed to give a response, right? The question, friend, how did you come in here without the wedding endowment, right? The wedding garment, uh, it's a rhetorical question. The man is speechless. It's not that he's forgotten how to talk. He's not allowed to talk, right? It's too late. The night cometh when no man can work. And so no excuses, doesn't matter. He's a hypocrite. He's there without faith. Uh, I wonder, it, uh, now the, your translation did do one thing the King James doesn't, and they use a different word in verse 13 because it's diakonos instead of doulos. And uh, so the New King James translates both as servant. So in the first half, or, or up to this point, those who go out to, to call the called are doulos, are slaves or servants. Mm-hmm. And then in, in, now all of a sudden, when the king catches this guy, he turns to the deacons, diaconus. Mm. And it also means servant. I mean, both words can mean servant. But of course, diaconus becomes this technical term for the ministers of the gospel, mm-hmm. w- one of them, right? Uh, deacons in the New Testament, we have deacons, overseers, and uh, elders. Oh, those are the three words in English that all really mean, in our language, in modern Lutheranism, all mean pastor. Um, so, I mean, I think that's kind of significant that he changes from slaves to deacons. And again, I think it is coloring that this is, they are there in the church. And maybe this is an illusion. Well, I, I don't think it's maybe. I think this is an illusion to the office of the keys. Uh, even this language of bind him hand mm-hmm. and foot is reflective of right the, the the binding of sins to the unrepentant. Could it also be reflective of at least for uh, the unbeliever that uh, close communion is yeah. necessary here? Right, he's not allowed to right. recline at table. That's right. Well, I mean, there's a, right. He has to be excommunicated. He has to be thrown out. Uh, yeah. Okay. So it's it's definitely it's definitely poignant. I think, and and I mean, it's a bit uncomfortable because we never like the real on our fallen flesh never likes the reality of church discipline because mm-hmm. right. it feels you know like it's not the gospel, which of course it isn't, <laughs> but still in the Bible. <laughs> And it's still necessary, and it serves the gospel because without it, without the law, the gospel is meaningless. Right. Right? So. Okay. So then you the summary statement, for many are called, but few are chosen. Right. Are elected. And that's the uh, big rub. What's that? Elected. Elected. I know. The language in here is is really loaded, this whole parable. Uh well, this this passage, uh, Matthew twenty two fourteen, is cited. I, f- I forgot to write this down. I think it's six times in the Solid Declaration. Um, so it is a proof text for uh, the Solid Declaration, Article Eleven, which is on election and predestination. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to just read you a few paragraphs here um, because I think they're they're really beautifully said and important. So this is. Um, 
Article 11, the Solid Declaration, Kobwanger, paragraphs 15 through 23, this teaching, that is the teaching of election, states that it is God's intention and counsel that he has preordained the following. One, that the human race has been truly redeemed and reconciled with God through Christ, who has merited with his innocent obedience, suffering, and death, both the righteousness that avails before God and eternal life. Two, that this merit and the benefits of Christ are to be offered, given, and distributed to us through word and sacrament. Three, that God wills to be effective and active in us with his Holy Spirit through the word when it's preached, heard, and meditated on to convert our hearts to true repentance and to enlighten them in true faith. Four, that he wills to make the righteous wills to make righteous all those who in true repentance accept Christ by faith, and he wills to receive them into grace as children and heirs of eternal life. Five, that he wills to sanctify in love those whom he has justified, as St. Paul says in Ephesians 1. Six, that he wills to protect them in their great weakness against the devil, the world, and the flesh, to guide and lead them in his ways, to lift them up when they fall, and to comfort and preserve them in crosses and trials. Seven, that he wills to strengthen and increase in them the good work that he has begun in them and to preserve them to the end. When they abide in God's word, pray diligently, persevere in God's goodness, and faithfully use the gifts they have received. Eight, that he wills finally to save and glorify forever in eternal life those whom he has elected, called, and justified. Now, I know that kind of came at you kind of fast, but... uh, I mean, all of this is to is in some ways just to say that all the promises in the Bible are sincere, right? Mm-hmm. That the doctrine of election does not take away what God says in his Bible, or we shouldn't allow it to. And there is a temptation to allow it to, to say, well, many are called, but only a few are chosen, only the chosen, only the elect go to heaven. Therefore, the call was insincere. And... Uh, that's wrong. The call's absolutely, absolutely sincere. This is the will of God as it's been revealed to us. And then, uh, so just one more paragraph, paragraph 26. So skipping ahead, you know, how do we deal with this and reconcile this sort of difficult reality that not everyone called is saved and the difference between those who are saved or the elect and those who are not, who are called but aren't elect is not because the elect are somehow superior, either intellectually or morally, or even spiritually. It's rather that God's grace has chosen them. So paragraph 26, we should not judge this matter according to our reason, nor according to the law, nor on the basis of outward appearance, nor should we have the temerity to search the secret hidden abyss of divine foreknowledge, Instead, we are to pay attention to the revealed will of God, for he has revealed to us and made known to us the mystery of his will, and he has accomplished it through Christ that it may be proclaimed. So that's really where the people have to be directed, that uh, we're not going to try to, it would be audacious of us, uh, inappropriately rash and disrespectful and possibly deadly for us to try to search into God's hidden will and solve this mystery. We got to go. What we mean by revealed will, of course, is the Bible. We got to go by the Bible. What does God actually say? Are His promises there true and trustworthy? There is a certain sense in which we believe like Calvinists, but we act like Arminians. 
So what I mean by that, the Calvinists, of course, believe in double predestination. We don't believe in that. We don't believe that God damns people to his glory. That's a, that's a blasphemous idea. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, we do believe that election is uh, a, a cause of justification or of salvation, that all of the elect will be in heaven. And we take great comfort in that because it's not our job to save people. So if we fail to witness or evangelize or even raise our children appropriately, that's horrible and that's on us and that's a sin. And if we don't repent of it, we could go to hell. But none of the elect are going to be kept out of heaven because of our failures. I mean, I find such comfort in that. I can't even imagine thinking that it was my job to save the world and how how bad I am at it. So thank God it falls on him. So that's what I mean. We believe in that part like Calvinists, election is a cause of great is a cause of salvation. But then really we do behave like Arminians, right? That is that it, it is also our job to evangelize the world. And we take that with utmost seriousness. So not out of fear that if we don't do a good enough job, some people will go to hell, but out of joy that God has given us this work to to do, and it's our job to call the lost, right? To go out to the highways and extend this invitation and proclaim this good news to the good and the bad, recognizing that God actually has redeemed them and wants them and is sincerely inviting them. Mm-hmm. So how does this, so he doesn't say all are called, but few are chosen. He says many. So how do we respond to that? Is is that a particular way that Matthew uses many or... Well, I mean, I, I've heard it explained as it actually means all, but I don't believe, I don't think it does. Um, I think that, in fact, some never were called. That is, to be called is to hear the gospel. I don't think Socrates ever heard the gospel. I don't think Homer ever heard the gospel. So I don't think they were called. And of course, they obviously weren't chosen either, because the chosen are called. The chosen do hear the gospel. If the only way that the chosen come to faith or the elect come to faith is through the word. Um, so I think many are called is is an acknowledgement that uh, not everyone does get the chance. This is not about fairness. Grace is a gift that no one deserves. So the question isn't, well, you know, why didn't Socrates get a chance? In in some ways, the question is, how in the world did did we slop into this? You know. Um, our forefathers were, you know, sacrificing babies to trees in Germany or wherever, you know, um, for the most part, right? Most of most of us come from, most people listening to this podcast are probably white people of European descent, and your people were terrible. So how did you become a Christian? You know, you were, and most of the people listening to this were just, were baptized as babies, right? Mm-hmm. So what a gift, you know? Um it's, it's astounding. And, you know, I'll tell you how it happened. These servants went out on the highways and they found pagans and they invited them and they told them the truth and the world was evangelized. And you're the great beneficiary of that. And, it, you know, if you, to speak in a colloquial way or to kind of judge it in the ways of the world, you're just lucky. Do you, right? Yeah. So do you think that the response typical of modern hearers to say, you know, that's not fair. What about those who never heard is a similar response uh, 
to not taking the call seriously as it was in the previous. Like that, they don't recognize that he's king, and that he right. Can do that's that. exactly the problem. You're you don't get you're not the king. You don't get to judge the king, and you don't get to tell him what to do. He he came and invited you. You can either recognize him as having the actual authority to issue this invitation and receive it in thanksgiving, or you can try to be your own king, but mm-hmm. you don't get to tell him how to be king. I know. See, again, that's the sort of Calvinist side of things, but it is the right, it is the right thing. Um, I actually, I like this. I like the, the terminology of sovereignty of God. I think the I think that is what Kodesh means. The, the word that we usually translate in Hebrew, from Hebrew is holy. Mm-hmm. Uh, means to be separated or to be distinct from the rest of creation. Yeah. And I think sovereign is actually a really good description of that, which, you know, we kind of shy, we sh- not kind of, I mean, we shy away from it because that's a big deal to the Calvinists. They care more about his sovereignty than they do about his grace. Well, that's a problem. Um, you know, the Westminster Confession, the article of justification is election. The Those who are justified are the elect. In the Augsburg Confession, the article of justification is grace. We we do believe that election is a cause of grace or is a cause of, of salvation in a sense, but we don't define it that way. Mm-hmm. What, what we're defined by is grace, that God is gracious, that Jesus has died. Again, it's it's his revealed will that drives us and that we, we are bound to. And I mean, that's just the, the article on justification taken by itself from the Westminster confession is not wrong, uh, but it is misdirected and it taken in the context of what they believe about election. It is wrong. Uh, the, uh, the Augsburg confession doctrine on justification is absolutely biblical and right uh, because it is defining itself according to what God has promised. Mm-hmm. And, not according to the hidden will of God. Yeah, the my understanding of the Calvinist view of election is that it's not uh, in light of God's gift in His Son Jesus, but has been decided and chosen before even the fall. Right, and His in His glory, I think for the Calvinists is really the glory of God is an exercise of power, uh, mm. whereas. We would say the glory of God is his grace, right? That Jesus is lifted up on the cross. That's his hour. That's his glory. The self-giving of God for the redemption of the world. That's where we see it, not on judgment day. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I don't want to pit one against the other in a sense, but yeah. it, it's, it is a matter of emphasis. Well, guess what? Heresy is always a matter of emphasis. Right. Um, you know, I mean, it's, you know, it, if I say, uh, you know, our Lord Jesus Christ is a true man, that's correct. You know, that's the right thing. But if I emphasize that in such a way that it denies his divinity, now I'm an historian, right? Or uh, now I'm an uh, Arian, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I think they're, the Calvinists are, this is really terrible. Um, as good as they are on so much and as impressive as of an intellect as John Calvin is. Mm-hmm. And you know, and of course, the conservative Calvinists are also very much our allies in the culture wars. I don't, sure. I'm not, I don't want to denigrate them, and but you know, this is a serious divide, and it has Christological problems too, um, because I mean, it's it's related to their, uh, you know, their, the the thing about not accepting the communication of attributes that is 
that's a problem. Mm-hmm. They, they don't accept that. The um, I can't remember which one now. Right? They don't believe that. I mean, they have this weird idea that the humanity of Jesus is still limited. Mm-hmm. They don't really believe in the exaltation. Yeah. That as a man, it's our Lord Jesus Christ right? always. It's what? It's the myasticum. My yeah, that's right. That's right. That's what it is. Um, so anyway, this this is a tough verse. Um, it is disturbing to people. Uh, we have to teach it, and we have to teach it in its nuance and its complications. We can't simplify it because if we simplify it, even though we're talking to to lay people that are maybe whatever, it's difficult for them to think in these terms. If we simplify this and give them easy answers, we're going to end up giving them the Arminian answer, and it's going to deny election. Yeah. I, I, I'm almost positive that's the way that's the way the error is going to go. I don't think we're very prone to double predestination in America in general and in the Missouri Synod. Um, in fact, it's hard to find a real Calvinist for that reason, mm-hmm. right? Most Calvinists are not full-born Calvinists. They're you know, they're not the whole tulip thing. Five, what is that? Five point Calvinists or whatever. Right. Well, there are five letters it, in tulip. So, right. So, so we, you know, we. I think we just have to do the hard work of actually teaching this doctrine. And you know, oh, so, so the other thing I loved it. Whatever we teach on this, is I love to just tell everybody that this is a doctrine of grace and it is comforting. And then, of course, they'll be like, "Well, this doesn't feel very comforting." And I'm like, "Yeah, well, that's that's." That's what's wrong in you, right? The uh, it is a doctrine of grace. It is comforting to faith. Uh, the fact that you're struggling with it, I, I'm not unsympathetic to, but that is the struggle really between faith and reason. And 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 you need to, in this case, right? We go by scripture. We're not going to go by formal logic. Right. And we're going to just say we're just going to say yes. It is comforting. I don't always feel comforted by it. Well. That's not what makes something comforting, right? Whether you feel comforted or not. I mean, that's just your kind of uh, subjective experience of it. If I say Jesus loves you and you're in a crappy mood and and whatever. I mean, it may not be you may not feel comforted by that statement, but it is a comforting reality that Jesus loves you. Yeah. So it's objective. It's not yeah, and that's again, right? We're always wanting everything to be subjective. It's as though the way I experience something is what defines it, rather than an objective reality outside of myself, which is just crass self-idolatry. Mm-hmm. My experience is the only thing that matters. Yeah. Okay, so what are you going to focus on in preaching then? Well, probably, I don't know. I mean, there is a lot in here. I mean, okay, so you could certainly go after the warning of, you know, just because you're in the church, you know, you still have to examine yourself and you still have to repent and you need to be covered with the righteousness of Christ. You can't wear your own garment. Um, so there is a change in, you know, that, that co- you're called off the highway and into the banquet. You don't stay, you don't act the same way. So you, you certainly, that's a legitimate way to go. Um, and then I mean, taking on the doctrine of election. This is a sedes, you know, the uh, a huge, a huge passage for the doctrine of election. By the way, uh, you know, the parable of the vineyard workers would be another one. Okay, so we got to be honest 
and upfront about the difficulty of this passage as it relates to elections so that we don't either fall into Calvinism and that monstrous doctrine of limited atonement or any such thing, but also the the doctrine of the Arminians where we do the choosing uh, because then we'll fall into, well, I mean, a kind of despair. Have we really chosen rightly or when we sin, have we really chosen? So right. what um, what else should we focus on in our preaching here? Well, I think, again, like the common error in America is the Arminianism, which is really works righteousness. Mm-hmm. And the so the thing to focus on here, again, is this is objectively the gospel, that this is the most monergistic, I mean, the most mono of monergistic is that you really can't do anything and you haven't done anything and you've been saved by grace. So this is, you know, the kind of emphasis and the marvelous opportunity, right? Like, again, like, you know, our ancestors are walking along the highway and here came Boniface and, you know, everything changes. And this is a, a miracle of grace and of God's compassion that should be received with thanksgiving. Yeah. Is there, or is it appropriate to bring in Second Peter 1 here, where he talks to be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure by practicing the qualities that he lists early on in that chapter? Right. And you've got Paul's admonitions to, you know, walk worthy of your calling, same thing. I mean, the word call, it, yeah, it, this gets confusing too in the biblical text. Here, you know, there, there's a difference made between call and elect, but sometimes the word calling actually means f- faith, right? Mm-hmm. Election, the whole thing. So, I mean, there's plenty of passages like that. You've got strive the to enter by the narrow the call. Gate. What's that? It seems like the emphasis there is then on the call. That is, yeah, I, I the, think typically the mediated is. call through God's right. word, not right. any kind of election in. With with God, and so that would go along with the solid declarations point. Like, where do you go back to when you do fall into sin, and you go back to God has called you, right? Exactly, called me by the gospel. That this is the again the objective thing outside of myself. You know, did Jesus die for the sins of the whole world or not? And you know, so we take it outside of ourselves. We can find actual certainty and comfort. Mm-hmm. And we don't look into the hidden will of God. We just, right? He he is sincere in these promises, and there is no deception in him. Mm-hmm. So that that's again of that's why it is actually a comforting doctrine, even though it may not feel comforting all the time. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, any training in righteousness? I suppose that's the Second Peter stuff. Yeah, and also maybe you know something about. You know, maybe submitting to the to the word and the will of God and trusting in Him, instead of allowing ourselves to become angry or frustrated because we don't understand. You know, accepting the limits of our rationality and our capacity, and not trying to solve every mystery. I've I don't know if I've talked about this on here, but in the last couple of months, I've been really in, interested in this idea that. I think that why so many things in the Bible are actually ambiguous is because that ambiguity is itself a call to faith. Mm. So, right, right, I mean, we're talking about the doctrine of election, and part of this is the hidden will of God. Well, 
the fact that it's hidden means that we have to live by faith, not by sight, or by faith, not by reason. And I think we can, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things we'd like to know, a lot of things that don't make sense to us. uh, And why aren't those things revealed to us? Maybe part of the reason, like, it's like uh, God wrestling with Jacob, and Jacob wants to know his name. I mean, why doesn't God just tell him? Um, I think... (laughs) I think it's because, you know, Jacob's not in control and he doesn't get to decide the, you know, the criteria by which he will live or the amount of knowledge that he's given. Mm-hmm. Jacob has to live by faith. He, he knows this is God. That's enough. Right? Yeah. Well, you know, he does kind of let him win, but not all the yeah. way. Not like, all the way. He walks yeah, away you, limping and he doesn't get the name. Yeah. So, you know, so, so he it's, is, he it's, is in uh, control. <laughs> well, well, God's in control. Yeah, that's what I mean. God is in control. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Jacob doesn't get to set the terms, and uh, none of us do. So I, I think, you know, that's that's one of the most uh, – yeah. I, I, Jacob wrestling with God is it, – it's just so emblematic of what it is to be a Christian. Yeah. But both it, it, both in the wrestling and in the wounding, right, mm-hmm. the, the crosses that God gives to humble us and to strip away our idolatries. Right. And I mean, after that, I think you, I right, think you have uh, a point here on, you know, the, that you call the ambiguities or the things that aren't fully revealed to us. There is a sense in us, and you hear this from folks who, um, I mean, it's in movies portrayed this way, but for those who, uh, you know, are actually dealing with what you'd call clinical depression and who are put on like some kind of medication, they always want to get off of it because they just want to feel something. Mm. And there is a sense that they'd rather feel the lows, even the highs than just have nothing at all. And I wonder if there's a sense in which we, we want the challenge of trying to think about these things rather than it just being so simple that it doesn't make any difference at all. And that it wouldn't feel real to us if God didn't keep some of these things back. Yeah, interesting. I mean, people that cut themselves too, that's uh, you know a disorder, obviously, but it's driven by, I mean, I think they're still seeking their own good, but well, the good there is to want feel something. in feeling something. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, that's, yeah, that's right. That's right. Well, I think it's an interesting idea to be, to be a human Right, you're, you're saying to be a human means to have some struggle, uh, yeah, even yeah. intellectual struggle, and yeah, not to and, have and so we live in a time and, where we go from like from work to play, and we don't really know what it's like to not have something uh, controlling our attention, and then when we don't have it, we have this kind of like boredom and ennui that we don't know what to do with. And we have to learn right. kind of like how we taught our kids, you know, when they said they're bored, we had to let them learn to figure out how to overcome their boredom. Um, and, and there's a sense in that for us too, that um, we need to learn how to, uh, I guess, enjoy the difficulties in the scriptures that haven't been revealed and to relish yeah. them, right. To say, wow, this is yeah. really profound. And, uh, and I can't wait to have it revealed so that it like keeps us, we recognize there's something real there that 
God doesn't feel the necessity to reveal everything to us because we're not God. <laughs> and we're called to live by faith. Right. I mean, you know, it's, it's uh, that this is actually the fullest expression of human humanity is to live by faith. Mm-hmm. And so these are opportunities for that. Yeah. To actually exercise our faith and to submit to God's will and to trust in him instead of, you know, again, setting the terms or giving the criteria by which we will believe mm-hmm. instead of, yeah, what about, I mean, you know, of course, the greatest, the greatest uh, I would say, act of faith in all of scripture other than Jesus um, is Abraham's near sacrifice of Isaac, mm-hmm. right? I mean, what a phenomenal, what a phenomenal thing to say that the Lord will provide and uh, to not really know what that means. <laughs> This is, I mean, that this is, is true. The, this is true. Yeah, I mean, that is it is a remarkable, right? I mean, it's just, it, that's the most, I think, paradigmatic. Well, I mean, Abraham's the hero of faith because he's, it's reckoned unto him as righteous. And so, yeah, are we ready to do that? I mean, we don't even like this doctrine of election. Can you imagine if he told us to kill one of our kids, mm-hmm. our only yep. kid? Yeah. Okay. Uh well, then you have Jesus, and he knows exactly what's coming and still does it. <laughs> I know. Right? I know. So sometimes it's the, beautiful. like, yeah, sometimes the not knowing, like when you get into an exercise, you don't know how hard it's going to be. So you're just like, yeah, we'll do it. And then yeah. midway through, you're like, oh, this was a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. Oh, but, that's like being married or being in the ministry or having children, children. or <laughs> pretty much or everything worthwhile. Yeah. Worthwhile in life, right? Yeah, uh, we we never know what we're getting into, and we and there's only on the job. I mean, really, you 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 have to always learn everything on the job. Yeah, whether it's being married or raising children, or I mean, it's so funny how kids think they're such experts in child rearing, you know, uh, <laughs> but they totally do. They they totally know exactly what you should do for their brother. And what he deserves, and and what would be good for him, and what would be right, yeah. right? And they also, I mean, they also know uh, how they're going to raise their children so much differently and so much better than you have raised them. Yeah. Well, <laughs> we all were like that, right? And then we. Oh, I know. Of course, the very same thing. I, I was like that. Said. It's just hilarious how arrogant it is, and I mean, it's. Uh, but it's so. It's just universal, and. Uh, yeah, it's so it's it's hilarious in a way, but it's just so ridiculous. It's such an act of immaturity. But you know, I can even think back when even when we had our first kid, I thought we were pretty good at it, and uh, boy, that got blown up pretty good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, we had one kid. There was two of us. You know, uh, we gave him a lot of attention, and it was pretty easy. We didn't know it was easy. We thought it was hard, right. you know. Then we had a few more, and uh, they weren't. They all had. They had some issues, and there was too many of them, and we were outnumbered, and you know, it was a whole different experience. So it, it really is, yeah. Um, <laughs> it was very humbling. So, well, I mean, even <laughs> I think about all the time, you know, when I would tell my kids, and they were young, to go play outside. You know, the only thing that kept them from running in the road is I said not to do it. It's the only thing. Like, yeah. there wasn't a fence there. There wasn't uh, 
and I mean, just how quickly things can go wrong just by a little bit of yeah. um, imagination. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's crazy how you know to think that there isn't the angels and archangels watching over and the providence of God taking care of things. It, that that too is um, prideful and yeah. arrogant. Absolutely. Yeah. So what do you yeah. think you're going to so talk easy, about? So easy to forget. Oh, I don't know. I, 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 I might take those, I might just work those paragraphs from the solid declaration into a sermon mm-hmm. and really pound on the uh, revealed will of God and his goodness and where our confidence is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like we got to, I feel like we got to talk about what worthy is. You could, yeah, you could certainly do that. I mean, yeah, and there's a lot of opportunity to talk about faith here, mm-hmm. right? Who's the king? Who isn't? All that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I don't even know what I've done in the past. I, I don't yeah. even know what I've done. I've I can't remember. Just I don't remember on the first half. Probably, probably haven't. I. It, that's how. That's. I've preached on this. So right, almost probably thirty times, and. Uh, I can't remember a single sermon on it. Yeah. The first half really kind of coincides with the the one earlier, what, Trinity 2? Yeah. The other banquet parable. Yeah. Um, maybe you could do a comparing and contrasting. You know, what's unique about this? What what pan- like hangs out of the drawer on this that needs to be dealt with? Yeah. Yeah, because they are different for mm-hmm. sure. I mean, the other one, I can't remember right now, but the other one's not a king for one thing. It's not a wedding banquet either. I'll, you know, that's, of course, obviously a big, the whole king, the son of the king is getting married. You know, I mean, that whole thing's in there too. Yeah. There's definitely an eschatological um, emphasis in this one. Yeah. We don't, we didn't watch the marriage of Charles, uh, not Charles. Yeah. Of Charles and Camilla or because we didn't think he's king. But did he, <laughs> I thought he was married he, did he just get married? No, no, no. Like years ago when he got married, it was not a big deal for us unless you're just oh. completely into the royals. But Americans didn't spend a lot of time. I'm, no. Right? I'm zero into the royals. I no interest at all. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but you're kind of an Anglophile. Yeah, I am, but I didn't like the I didn't care about the royals. I'm enough American. Oh. Not, I mean, that's Stevenson's Oh, I know. Well, we got we got a few of these monarchists rolling around. I think they're crazy. Uh, I'm with Samuel, so yeah, I'm I'm for the monarchy of God. There you go. Yeah, I'm for that too. <laughs> oh, hopefully we all are. Yeah. All right. Well. All right. We'll uh, pick back up next week, and uh, we're, we're going to take a couple weeks off, uh, and put some old episodes of Reformation and All Saints because we're both traveling and um, and we'll pick back up with Trinity 23. Sounds good. All right. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Jason. Thanks, Jason.